please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we've got up to in our studies in the morning in Matthew's Gospel. You'll find this on page 977 actually. It begins verse 22. Matthew chapter 12 verse 22. Page 977 in the Red Church Bibles. I'm going to read from verse 22 to 37. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is God's word. Well, the crowds were astonished at Jesus on on seeing him heal a demon-possessed man who'd been blind and mute. It doesn't say how he did it. Um, But at the end, the man could both talk and speak, and then everybody started speaking about it. Uh, The crowd asked the right question, could this be the son of David? Could this be the king that God had promised uh, so long ago, the one that would come and bring in a perfect kingdom, that would deal with our problem of sin, that would put everything right? Could this be the king? It's a good question, having seen such an amazing miracle. A man liberated from the terrible effects of evil uh, that had left him blind and mute. But Matthew wants us to focus actually on 
the response that's quite different on the response of the most impressive religious leaders of that time, the Pharisees. These church-going, Bible-loving, moral people had a different assessment. Verse 24, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. It's interesting, they don't deny that the miracle took place. It was undeniable. The thing that they were pointing to was the source of the power that was behind it. They believed it only meant one thing. Jesus was in league with the devil, with Beelzebub. He'd used demonic powers to cast out demons. Now we've been observing over many weeks now the growing tension between Jesus and these religious leaders. What's different about this section? Well, what we have here is Jesus dissecting their arguments and showing them really that uh, they were wrong in their thinking and also how their words showed that uh, revealed really what was going on in their hearts and how actually their words also revealed if they did not change what would happen to their destinies, their futures. Uh, there was a time when Jesus withdrew Uh, from the conflict but there was times when he spoke into it and uh, quite strongly as we just read and I wonder this morning what is it that you think about Jesus Uh, what do you make of him how do you view him how do you treat him I guess in a room this size there'll be a variety of attitudes to Jesus there perhaps will be those who are here as critics of Jesus or some, perhaps, who, uh, like the crowds, are astonished about him and just intrigued to find out more and, and try and work out who this Jesus is. And, of course, there'll be many believers in Jesus here today. But as we come to assess Jesus, we must say, face up to this fact. As we, as we read this text, it turns out Jesus was assessing his critics. As we come to think that we stand on some sort of neutral ground to assess Jesus, uh, this passage, Jesus would say to us, actually, I'm assessing you. I'm telling you where you're at rather than you telling me where I'm at. And here we have some penetrating sort of x-ray analysis of what's really going on under the surface of our response to Jesus. And I think these are quite unsettling verses. Uh, because Jesus says our assessment of him will actually show us what's going on inside of our lives and in our hearts. It actually reveals whether we are good or evil. That language permeates this text. More than that, our assessment of Jesus actually reveals our destiny, our future. And so these are struggling words that challenge us. So the Pharisees, they see this miracle, and what do they say? It's by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And so Jesus tells them five things that are revealed by their words. That's it, a five-point sermon. Can you believe your, your luck this morning? Not just three. Five things Jesus says about their words. Firstly, their words are illogical in verses 25 to 28. Uh, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said this to them, every kingdom, verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. 
Now, this is true for political parties. It's true for nations. It's true for families. Internal fighting will weaken and damage to destruction. It's been observed many times in history. Abraham Lincoln, those who are uh, American uh, students of history, famously spoke uh, of it with regard to the states having different policies on slave ownership. A house divided against itself will not stand, he famously uh, said in one speech as he ran for Senate. Ed Miliband at the moment could testify to the difficulty of leading a political party uh, which is divided over his leadership. A house divided against itself will not stand. It's an accepted kind of proverb of everyday language. And then Jesus applies that to uh, this situation. Verse 26, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Why would Satan undermine his own kingdom? Satan, who's the leader of the fallen angels, who works as an adversary, an opponent of the kingdom of God, uh, here he has this, uh, this man under his grips. He's afflicting him. He's defacing uh, someone who bears the image of God. And uh, why would uh, Satan give him up? This assessment that uh, Jesus is using the powers of evil to cast out evil is just totally illogical. So what should they have reasoned? What should they have considered? Well, there in verse 28, Jesus tells them. But if I drive out demons... By the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, the astonishment of the people um, who asked the question, could this be the Son of David? That was the logical question to ask. Now, the activity of Jesus and the miracles he did were clearly evidence that Jesus was the Messiah king that had been promised hundreds of years before. God had promised, I'm going to send this servant and I'm going to pour my spirit upon him and you're going to see him do extraordinary things. And so here we see Jesus doing exactly that. And so as evil spirits are cast out of people by the power of the spirit of God through Jesus, then they had clear evidence that God's kingdom had come and arrived amongst them. The kingdom of God, when it comes, it liberates people from enslavement, from imprisonment. Uh, It brings healing, it brings sight, it brings forgiveness, it brings joy. And that's what Jesus was showing. Someone greater than Satan had come. Had you seen Jesus gives top tips on how to rob a house? Did you notice that? Could you believe such a thing? Yes, he does. How How do you steal things from people's houses? Well, if there's a strong bloke in there. Uh, then you need to tie him up before you take his stuff. That's, that's good advice there. We don't advise that, by the way. But Jesus is saying that's exactly what's going on. As these people are being liberated from their enslavement and their blindness and, and being freed, he's saying it, it just shows uh, Satan, the devil, has been bound. He's powerless now. I can go in at will and, uh, and save and rescue people. That's what's going on. So that's what they should have worked out. That's the logical analysis. The second thing that their words reveal is their allegiance. Verse 30. See, these false words that they're saying, they reveal something about their own loyalties. Verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. As you read this text, you notice there's only really two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, 
and the kingdom of Satan. And if you're standing as a critic of Jesus, which kingdom are you in? As Jesus is, is advancing the kingdom of God, then there's no neutral place from which critics can stand. If you're not with Jesus in the kingdom of God, you're against him as part of the kingdom of Satan, Jesus says. If, you, if you're not building up the kingdom of God with Jesus, you're working for the kingdom of Satan. And remember, who is he speaking to? Jesus is not speaking to some sort of satanic heavy metal rock band. He's speaking to the most religious, impressive people in his day. And he says, you're playing for the wrong team. You're doing exactly what the devil wants you to do as you stand there opposing and criticizing me. Now our city is full of hardworking, caring, decent people who want to go about their lives completely ignoring Jesus Christ. But Jesus is clear that actually they're not standing in a neutral place. There's no Swiss neutrality on this spiritual matter. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because people really do want to maintain that they're good without needing Christianity, without needing Jesus. Uh, We were coming home from the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches Leaders Conference, the FIC Leaders Conference. And uh, the team went, and uh, we were on the train a week Friday back. And uh, this is how the conversation went. The ticket inspector from, on the train from Great Yarmouth to Norwich came along. And uh, you know, he, he sensed we were together. He said, so where are you all from then? And, and we said, well, we're from Edinburgh. We work in a church there. And he said, oh, my, my girlfriend uh, lives in Leith. He said, I'm up in Edinburgh every now and again. Where's your church? Oh, I said, it's at the end of uh, Rose Street, you know, the street with all the pubs. Oh, yeah, I know that one, he said. I said, you know, I, 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 I quipped. I said, it's, it's, you know, when people have worked their way down the pubs, they can come and repent of their drunkenness at Charlotte Chapel. And then he said to me, don't talk to me about repentance. I don't need that. I've never done anything wrong, said the ticket inspector. And then he hesitated and offered, except for the one time where, as a boy, I stole an apple from a shop. Why did you steal the apple? I asked him. I don't know, he replied. I said, well, the Bible says we've sinful hearts and that's why we do wrong things. I can't believe it, he said. You're calling me a sinner. This is turning out to be a really bad day. And I said, not really. I said, because when you realize that you're a sinner, there's good news for sinners in Jesus. Why don't you come along to Charlotte Chapel and we'll tell you about it. Well, he headed off. Next thing we knew, the train slowed down and we missed our connection. So maybe, uh, maybe I had that coming, I don't know. But I think that's typical of that sort of response. People say, me? I'm not a bad person. I'm just not interested in your church or your Jesus. Well, according to Jesus, not being on his team puts us in the kingdom of Satan. Someone who actually needs to be rescued and delivered from the devil. This is exactly how the Apostle Paul uh, describes salvation in the book of Colossians. He says this, For he, for 
Uh, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. So when we become Christians, what's God done? He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so it turns out actually that it's not just addicts that are enslaved. We are all enslaved by the devil. We all need to be redeemed, the Bible says. If we're not in uh, Christ's kingdom, we're in Satan's kingdom. And we need to be freed from being enslaved to Satan. And the way out is being rescued by Jesus, having our sins forgiven and by trusting him and, and so entering into the kingdom of God. And uh, our words reveal our allegiances. Thirdly, our words, uh, their words put them beyond forgiveness in verses 31 to 32. Verse 31 is an extraordinary verse. Have a good look at it with me, would you? And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will, against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now people get so concerned about the blasphemy against the Spirit that they forget what an amazing verse, verse 31 is. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, says Jesus. So if you've worked out that you are a sinner and that puts you under God's judgment, listen to what the Lord Jesus has to say. Every sin, whether that's in our thoughts, our words, or our actions, every terrible sin that we could think of, if we come to God in repentance, will be forgiven. Isn't that precious? And every blasphemous word, every blasphemous action in our lives that's dishonored God, if we repent and seek God's forgiveness, Jesus says it will be forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? It speaks of the incredible uh, wideness of God's mercy and his grace. And it's attested to right through scripture. Remember the story of Jonah, uh, the reluctant prophet who didn't want to preach in Nineveh? Do you remember why he didn't want to go and warn them of God's judgment? What was the reason? Because he knew the character of God. He knew that if he preached that judgment was coming and the people repented, that God would forgive them and not bring the judgment. And he didn't want that because he hated them. They, the, the Assyrians had treated them very badly down through history. He hated them. He didn't want them to turn. Uh, but finally God got him there, didn't he? And he preached. And what did they do? They did repent. And what happened? God did relent from his judgment. And then this is, what, uh, this, is Moses, uh, this is Jonah's complaint to God. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This is the character of the God who is there. Psalm 65 verse 3, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions, O oh God. What a gracious God. We read from Psalm 130 earlier 
which has several phrases that just point to the amazing grace of God. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I don't know whether you've been uh, coming for weeks and months now and you've had a growing sense of your own sinfulness before God. And uh, you come in discouraged today. Well, look at verse 31. Every sin, every blasphemy, if you repent, trust Christ, it will be forgiven. But there does appear to be one exception here, doesn't there? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, to speak against the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, we mustn't forget the context. The context is the healing of this demon-possessed man that was done by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when the Pharisees uh, saw that, what did they, who did they attribute that to? They attribute it to the work of Satan. The person who was good, they called evil. And their stance against Jesus, denying God's Holy Spirit in and through him, if they maintained that, then they would never come to Jesus in repentance, would they? If you were convinced that every meal your wife cooked you was poisoned, you wouldn't eat it, would you? If you were convinced that, you just wouldn't do it. And if, he, and if they remained convinced that Jesus was evil, they would never come to him for forgiveness. All sins and blasphemies will be forgiven, except that of refusing to recognize that their rejection of Jesus puts them beyond forgiveness. See, if our ticket inspector in Great Yarmouth persists to believe he's not a sinner, then he'll never come to Jesus in repentance and faith. He did not need church, he didn't need uh, repentance, because he'd never sinned in his own mind, except for that strange incident about the apple that he hadn't really worked out. Now, sadly, Christians with a very tender conscience have at times been plagued by this concern that they've committed the sin, which they most clearly have not. All who come to Jesus Christ confessing their sin will be forgiven. But Jesus continues to reach out to these Pharisees by pressing home to them that the serious significance of their words, their stance against him, puts them in a place where their sin against the Spirit cannot be forgiven if they persist in their rejection of Jesus. Fourth thing that their words reveal is that they reveal their heart. In verses 33 to 35. And Jesus gives a number of word pictures here to show us that our words reveal the true person inside of us. Allow a tree to get parasites and diseases and all its fruit will be bad. Cultivate a tree the right way, you'll get good fruit. Uh, or a, a stream flowing from a spring. If you, if you put poison at the source of the spring, then the whole of the stream must pollute it. And what we store up in our hearts comes out into the world in our speech, which is a totally mind-blowing thought, really, isn't it? Our words reveal where our heart is at. Our unguarded words, especially so. Why do people enjoy interviews with the greats? They hope the sun is going to be shown, and often it is. Their true heart is revealed in their words. And these religious people, their words really reveal that their hearts are evil. And Jesus is unsparing here, isn't he? Verse 34, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil 
say anything good. Gloves are off. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Now these words are very challenging for all of us, I think, who find ourselves speaking proud, hurtful words towards others. The words of our mouth are a spiritual thermometer of what's going on in our hearts. What's come out of our mouths this week? Well, as I've reflected on that, I've had cause to repent myself. And as we hear sarcasm, mockery, belittling words coming out of our mouths, we should quickly turn to God in repentance and ask God to change our hearts. They reveal what is going on in our hearts. Fifthly, their words reveal their destiny. Verses 36 to 37. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Do you see that our words matter? Our words really matter, don't they? Every word about Jesus will matter on that final day of judgment. Every criticism, every judgment, every time his name is being used lightly, or as a swear word, every careless word spoken will count on that day and will be recalled as part of the basis of God's judgment. As we stand on that day and our life is assessed by the Creator God, there will come a question to us and God will say, What did you make of my son, Jesus? The one I sent into the world to rescue you, to die in your place upon the cross. How did you respond to him? Well, what if the answer on that day is, I didn't think very much of him. I didn't think he was very important. I made fun of him. I ignored him. I, I didn't need him. Now, if that's all you could say up to now, I, I want to say to you today, please repent. Did you notice from verse 37 that there are words that would judge us and there are words that would acquit us on the day of judgment? What are those words that will acquit us? I think they're words of repentance that... Uh, we've uttered before we get there repentance for our sins of seeking God's forgiveness by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation have you put your trust in Jesus today have you turned from your sin do our words not reveal that there's something wrong going on in our hearts and that we need God's forgiveness why don't you turn to him and seek his forgiveness today? Why don't you pray this week, oh Lord, change my heart. That what is there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Good that will flow out in my speech and in my life. There's a prayer that you can use to respond to God this morning. 
as we're talking about the day of judgment, I want to give you an opportunity to repent and trust Christ today. I don't know whether this will be the last time you ever hear the gospel. I want to give you the opportunity. I'll put the words up on the screen. Not magical words. Have a consider whether you want to pray them today. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my words. Reveal that I have an evil heart. And I stand guilty before you, my maker and my judge. Forgive me for the ways I have not recognized Jesus as Lord and King. Please rescue me from the dominion of darkness and bring me into the kingdom of your Son. Please forgive my sins and help me to live for Jesus from now on. Perhaps there's people who want to pray that prayer today. I want to repeat that prayer slowly and give you an opportunity to pray it in your own heart and mind in your response to him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my words reveal that I have an evil heart. And that I stand guilty before you, my maker and my judge. Forgive me for the ways I've not recognized Jesus as Lord and King. Please rescue me from the dominion of darkness and bring me into the kingdom of your Son. Please forgive my sins. And help me to live for Jesus from now on.